The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hi, this is Jerry from Remnant. Let's be honest, this life can be hectic, draining, and downright confusing. My hope is that by listening to this message, your life can be impacted by God's great love for you. And His love will give you wisdom, courage, and strength. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jerry Godsey. live in a world full of germs and viruses. I don't know if you're aware of that. In a lot of ways, we're just kind of waiting for the next horrible thing to mutate and take over all of us. We, we worry about the Russians dropping the bombs and stuff on us, but really, I have much more worry about somebody sneezing on my food and giving me something that I've never gotten before. In 2016, approximately 36.9 million people had AIDS. In 2017, the number grew by 5,000 per day. There have been over 2,300 deaths from the West Nile virus since 1999. I mean, nature is actively trying to kill us. Okay, viruses, and a lot of these are viruses, and they, you just have to hope you find some kind of antiviral thing to do it. You know, it could be mad cow disease or bird flu or something. Something's trying to kill you all the time. This is a happy thought. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> what did this say? Exactly, yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Now, everybody's gonna be, now we're going to be like a bunch of Japanese people wearing masks to church. You know, and, and yeah, we've got a good reason to be worried about all these viruses, but, but truth be told, there are viruses that are more damaging to us, not to our bodies necessarily, but to our spirits. During the Middle Ages, the church leaders identified seven deadly sins, they called them. Seven viruses that if you leave alone in your life, will cause you problems. First one is laziness. Then lust. Of course, none of you have ever had any trouble with that. Anger. Again, everybody's so good so far, right? 0 for 3? <laughs> Liars. Pride, envy, gluttony, and greed. That's a, to me, that sounds like, you know, three out of my four days of the week. I don't know. That's what, but we're going to talk today, we're going to focus on the virus of laziness. We're going to talk about that virus that will really hurt you, and that is laziness. Let's pray. God, thanks. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts. Lord, this is such a simple message, but one that I believe is timely for us and one that has a lot of meaning for us. God, give us a, a open our hearts to hear from you today. Thanks. Thanks, God. Amen. Another word for laziness is sloth. Sloth. Which, I'm sorry, but every time I hear the word sloth, all I can think of is this scene. Actually, I just remembered I have a pal at the DMV. Flash is the fastest guy in there. You need something done, he's on it. I hope so. We are really fighting the clock and every minute counts. Wait. 
They're all sloths? I have a friend that works at the DMV, and I'm pretty sure she hates this movie. Sloth is so bad, laziness is so bad, they have a club, really, called Lazy Holics Anonymous. They do. They, um, meetings are filled with what they call downwardly mobile people. They serve espresso so that the conversation speeds up a little bit. If you want to know if you're a lazy holic, they have a test. This is three of the things that I think... Uh, do you get annoyed when people talk about work-related matters at work? Do you find your sick leave is used up when you actually get sick? Do you find yourself thinking about taking a vacation while you're on vacation? You, too, might be a redneck. No, you might be a sloth. Now, I don't put much stock in Lazy Holics Anonymous, but I do believe that the Bible has a lot to say about laziness and what it means for us in our daily lives. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about some things about laziness. First of all, let's talk about the root of laziness. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus tells the story of the three talents. Basically, the king is getting to go out, the master's going out, and he calls in three guys, and he gives one of them ten talents, one of them five talents, and the other one one talent, and he says, hey, do something with this while I'm gone. When the master comes back, the guy with 10 has gained 10 more. King says, well done, good and faithful servant. To you, a little was given and you've made much. Much will be given back. Second servant had five, made five more. Gets the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Much will be given to you. The third guy who had one talent walks up and he says, um, here, here, here's your money. Look at Matthew 25, verse 24. The servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Okay, this is not getting, this is not starting off well. I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. I dug a hole in my backyard and I buried it. And I stuck a little flag next to it so I knew right where it was. <laughs> You're dumb and lazy. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. You can almost hear the master saying, oh, what a moron. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. 
Now throw this servant, this useless servant, into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch. Could have at least put it in the bank, Sparky. But no, I hid it in the backyard. I was too lazy to make a trip to the bank. The dictionary describes the word lazy as to delay by procrastinating. I'll do it tomorrow. We used to have a warehouseman at the electric supply wholesale house where I worked years ago. And we would ask him, hey, did you do that? Did you, did you put those things away? Oh, I was going to do that next. No matter what you ask him, he was going to do that next. Next never seemed to really come around very often, but he was going to do that next. The most energetic we ever saw him, true story, he had a pen that he really liked, and so he superglued it to his desk when he went out to lunch. Just because. He came back from lunch, and here's, here's three... By the way, all three of us were going to be pastors eventually. The three of us that did this. Not, I am proud of it. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so here's three future pastors and current staff members at Faith Assembly in Imperial, by the way, all peering through the, the shelves, trying to look past all the switch gear and boxes and stuff, and we're watching this guy try to pick his pen up off of his desk and laughing our heads off. So we see him the next day. He goes out... We all end up at McDonald's for lunch. He's got his girlfriend with him. He's got his pen, and it's tied on a string around his neck. That's the most energetic I ever saw out of the guy, trying to get that pen off the desk. He, honest goodness, got his head down. He looked at it. We're rolling. Here's the definition of lazy we're going to use today, though. Laziness is failing to take advantage of God-given opportunities and abilities. The master has given you a talent. What are you doing with it? God's given you something. And, and, and don't tell me that you don't have any talent. You do. You do. Don't tell me that God hasn't blessed you in some way, because he has. He, there's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. Jesus said this was wickedness, that laziness was wicked. Take out this, this useless, wicked servant. Laziness is failing to take advantage of your God-given opportunities and abilities by procrastinating and not doing what you know you should. We all know things we, we need to do, and we just don't do them. Laziness is as much a priorities problem as it is an activities problem. Tony Campolo said, laziness is the sin by which we ignore our obligations. Write that one down. Laziness is the sin by which we ignore our obligations. W.C. Fields, the great comedian, in fact, in the old, old days, said, the laziest man I ever met put popcorn in his pancake so they turned themselves over on their own. <laughs> okay, so now we kind of got the, the root of laziness. Where does the root of laziness start? It starts in wickedness. It starts in sin in our heart. Let's talk about the reality of laziness. What does it mean? What, what is the reality of laziness? Well, first of all, how about being lazy in labor? Your work life. 
Romans 12.11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That's a direct command for us to do our best, to work hard. A Harris poll recently said 63% agreed that very few people work as hard as they did 10 years ago. That's probably true. 78% have less pride in their work than 10 years ago. 16% of people said that they were doing their very best at work and at home. Really? 16%? 84% said they could do two times as good if they really wanted to put forth the effort. That's an awful lot of people just collecting a paycheck. Just going through the motions. And I got a news for you. I, I, I'll just be go along. I've been a supervisor. I'm a boss now. I, I, I've got a long time of, of supervising people. And if you're putting in the bare minimum at your work, you are an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. I'll just say it that way. You're an embarrassment. And I've told you the story before about the kid in my youth group where I told him, you know, tell people you're Mormon. Don't tell them you go to my church. If you're lazy at work, Tell people you're Methodist or something. Don't say that you're from Remnant. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Look at it. And it says, Whatever you do or say, as long as your boss is watching. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? Whatever you, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. You think that includes your work? Think that includes being a, a parent, a husband, a wife at home? You think that includes that? Absolutely. Proverbs 24, verse 30. We're going to be in Proverbs a lot today. Proverbs has a lot to say about laziness. I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. The lazy man lacks common sense. See, because only a only a fool would squander his God-given opportunities and abilities. I'll try and say that again without messing up. Only a fool would squander his God-given abilities, opportunities and abilities. I found this letter to the LA Times. This, this was a letter to the editor of the LA Times. Here's what it said. It says, there's been a lot of criticism about people who do not work, especially those who are collecting welfare. Most people prefer to work, and that's fine. But others may prefer to sit in the park or go to the beach or observe the wonders of nature. Now, those who dislike working shouldn't be penalized by being deprived of the benefits of our society. There's plenty for all. Everyone doesn't feel the same way about working. Some have built-in feelings about it that makes it very unpleasant for them to go to work, especially when it's required. Now, could this be looked upon as a handicap? We don't push others with handicaps. Our society provides for them, and it should do the same for those with a natural dislike for work. Why can't we just live and let live with each to his own style? 
I don't know the person who wrote this, but I guarantee you I would not like them. And I'm pretty sure he's not a real go-getter worker when he is at work. Can you imagine trying to justify that? Well, you know, I just, I just, I don't like work. I hate work. Why should I have to go to work? Uh, because that's how you make money to have like a house and food. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, even, we, even while we're with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Now you can look at me and tell I like to eat. I get, up, I get up every morning, I sing that song, I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. Do not be like the lazy guy who asks his boss for a raise. The boss said, your raise will become effective just as soon as you are. Ouch. Should we move on? You ready for me to move on? Yeah. How about being lazy in love? It only gets worse. You thought, oh, good, he's done. No, crud, it's not. This is worse. Lazy in love in our family life. 1 Corinthians 13.4, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. The problem with most of us is we've learned about love from Hollywood, from movies and television, and they don't really teach you what love is. They teach you what lust is. They teach you what a love of convenience is, but they don't teach you what biblical love is. Relationships require great effort and hard work. That's it. You're going to be in love? Roll up your sleeves, baby, because it's time to get to work. Love isn't something you just feel. It's something you do. I don't feel in love anymore. Okay, roll up your sleeves, dust off your britches, get to work. There are mornings I look in the mirror and I don't feel like a human. Come on, you ever get that way? You wake up, you look, and you get, well, I don't, but like hair going all over the place. You know, you got breath that'll peel wallpaper. <sighs> when I was a kid, I would hear people talk about, uh, I slept wrong. What do you, what do you mean? What, how do you slept wrong? How do you, how do you mess up sleeping? You know what? I wake up now and think, oh, I slept wrong last night. Got my shoulder. I slept wrong. The fact that I don't feel human doesn't get away from the fact that allegedly I am a human. It's never been proven scientifically, but I feel like I, I probably am a human. M. Scott Peck, who wrote the book The Road Less Traveled, by the way, and if you have never read The Road Less Traveled, it is an incredible book to teach about how to love. M. Scott Peck is amazing. 
Christian psychologist. It's most of the stuff from the, from the area of psychology, but this is what he wrote. Laziness is the major cause of failed relationships and families. 99% of the people I counsel are in my office because they were too lazy to be the spouse or parent they knew they should have been to begin with. He didn't mince words, does he? 99% of the people I counsel were too lazy to do the work. I read this week, it was, in, it was not in that book, but another a couple who had made a mess of their marriage because of selfishness and laziness. The husband complained that his wife didn't love him and had cheated on him. Come to find out, he was more committed to his job and hobbies than he was to his wife. She felt like a maid and a bedmate. When he was confronted with his habits and what he needed to do to save his marriage, he said he didn't have the time or energy to fix the problem. Divorce would be easier, he said. It was easier. He was lazy. He procrastinated what he knew he needed to do and then wanted to take the path of least resistance to solve it. Sorry. Not sorry. It's time for us to, to, to get busy, to, to roll up our sleeves, to be the good parents, to be the good husbands and wives we need to be, the good children we need to be. I came across this quote this week. It'll be on the board. In parenting, it's a parent's job to provide external controls until their children have learned internal controls. But for children to develop internal controls, the parents have to work to give them external controls. Why do my kids, now in their 30s, know that certain things are wrong? Because when they were two, dad told them, that's wrong, don't do that. And I tell you what, I, I, I worry about parents and kids today. Because so much of the world is saying, well, you know, that might be wrong for you, but that's not wrong for me. You know what, wrong is wrong. Wrong is wrong. And it's time for us to take a stand for it. Some parents are just too lazy to provide the external controls for their children. They think, oh, well, the school will take care of that. The school will teach them about sex education. I don't want the school doing that. No offense to teachers, I don't want the school doing that. The schools will teach my kids how to behave correctly. I don't want that. I've seen the kids that are getting turned down. And think, yeah, I, think I'll, I think I'll try and teach them a little bit myself first. As a teacher, yeah, please. I told you, we had a lady bring her kid to our school in, in I think it was in Delano, and she said, we don't, want to, we don't want anybody to tell him no. I said, well, he can go to school somewhere else. She looked at me, I'm serious. She looked at me and I said, if he comes here, he's going to be disciplined, he's going to learn discipline. That's kind of what we do here. Johnny? You know Bobby doesn't like it when you poke him in the eye with the pencil. <laughs> Let's find something else to do with the pencil, shall we? Bobby! This is what I get. Bobby! Get a pencil out of his eye. I'll lay hands on you and forget to pray. Look, it's easy for us to be lazy in our love life. In our family life, it's easy to be lazy because they're always there. 
right up until the moment when they're not. After 10 years of marriage, I've told you before, Lynette sat in a car and said she wasn't sure she loved me anymore. And I guarantee you, whatever was important up to that point quit being important. And I was a lousy husband. I didn't beat her. I didn't cheat on her. I took her for granted. It was the worst thing I could have done. Look, it takes work. Married 37 years, we're still working at it. The, the series on the family this year comes from a book called The Grace-Filled Marriage. And the reason Lynette and I read it is because we, we figured out our, our, work need, our marriage needed some more work. See, just being in the same house doesn't mean you're together. We had to do some work. Anything in your life, you're going to keep pounding away at. You're going to keep working on. You're going to keep moving. Because the minute you start coasting, you start losing impetus. Try pedaling a bike uphill and see how far you coast. You don't. You slow down. How about being lazy in the Lord? I told you, it just gets worse. Your spiritual life. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how, far, how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. I want to read you that set of verses again, this time from the message, which is an incredible paraphrase. I like this. It says, God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him by helping needy Christians and that you keep at it. And now I want each of you to extend that same intensity toward a full-bodied hope and keep at it till the finish. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and get everything promised to them. Are you living your Christian life to the best of your ability or are you trying to coast? Are you committed to daily prayer, to daily reading your Bible, to that, that time when it's just you and God? And not, you know, prayer McNuggets. Lord, bless me, bless everybody. Hallelujah. Shut up. Save your breath to blow your soup. I mean, if that's all you got time for, great. But I mean, I'm talking about really, really praying. I mean, talking to God and laying out your heart. And then, listening for God's voice. We do so much talking, we forget to listen. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to do this this week. Just hear me out, okay? Get yourself time when you can be alone, driving to work, whatever, and, and, and pray real quick prayer. God, I just want to hear from you this morning. Give me peace. And then just shut up and listen to God. We talk so much sometimes. Just be still and know his voice, the scripture says. Just be quiet in the presence of God. God, thanks. And just wait. Be quiet. Feel the stillness. Feel the peace that God gives. Sometimes we're so busy asking for things, we don't ever get the chance to listen for his answer.
just listen. Are you faithful in your worship? Are you faithful in the little things, your stewardship? And by stewardship, I don't mean just giving to the church. Writing a check is easy. I'm talking about the stewardship of your time, your talents, and your abilities. Are you faithful with that with, that with God? Or does God get what's left over in your life after you finish the job, TV, and all the other things that are going on? How faithful are you? Far too many churchgoers have a head knowledge that never seems to touch anyone else's life. If you're not actively sharing your faith, you're lazy. Still love me? Some of you didn't when it started, but you like, you like me less even now. Walking with Jesus takes hard work and discipline. They, and they, they, they give you a bill of goods. You, know, you watch TV and you listen to these prosperity doctrine preachers or these preachers on TV. Just come to the Lord and all of your life will be perfect. Hallelujah. <laughs> Has anybody found that to be true in your life? No, me either. Here's what I do know. When time gets rough, times get rough, I have somebody who tells me how to get on. I have a peace that nobody else understands because I'm tied in with God. But I still got to do the work. I still got to cultivate that relationship. I still have to be disciplined. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Years ago, I read a book by Chuck Swindoll, and it included this, this passage from Wilbur Reese. And I've loved it. I've loved it, and I found it again in preparation for this message. It's going to be on the, the board. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God. Think about how many Christians are this way. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God. Please, not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a rebirth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Sorry. I don't want $3 worth of God. I want so much more. And if you're content with $3 worth of God, shame on you. Not only that, it's to your, it's to your, it's, it, it's not to your benefit. $3 worth of God just gets you in the door, but there's so much more. You miss out on God's peace. You miss out on God's strength. You miss out on the grace that God gives. So many things you miss out on if you're just giving God the empties, the leftovers. Too many people want enough of Jesus to be saved, but not enough to have to change their life habits. But following Jesus is never going to be convenient with the world we live in. Do you hear me? Following Jesus is never going to be convenient with the role we live in. 
It requires complete and total daily surrender. In the book of Revelation, Jesus tells one of the churches, I know your deeds, I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot, but since you're lukewarm, I will spit you out. I firmly believe that God would rather have you 100% for him or 100% against him. But this riding the fence and trying to limp your way into heaven ain't going to cut it. I've got to be honest with you guys, it's time for us to quit playing. It's time for us to quit trying to see how close to the world we can live and still be a Christian. Let's, let's just roll up our sleeves and get to work. Luke 9.23, then Jesus said to his follower, to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So, what are the results of laziness? Well, first of all, there's poverty. Proverbs 10, 4. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Now, I've worked hard for a long time. I'm not rich. But I could afford groceries this week, which is more than a lot of people can say. More than some people can say. Proverbs 24, 33. We read it earlier. A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life with poverty as your permanent house guest. Ouch. Poverty comes to those who refuse to work. And listen to this. Not everybody who is poor is poor because they're lazy. But every person who is lazy will end up poor. You with me? Kind of like what Ben Franklin said, laziness travels so slowly that poverty soon overtakes them. If you're going to be lazy, get used to ramen noodles and uh, nothing else. You ever, been, you ever been ramen noodle poor? We have. We were macaroni and cheese poor. That's more of, a, more of my, my, my generation. We were macaroni and cheese poor. Been there, done that. When craft dinner is like an extravagance. Oh, we got the good stuff this week, not the plain wrap. Being lazy leads to problems. Proverbs 10, 26. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. A couple of years ago, somebody told me, if you really want to lose weight, it's always people that are as fat as me or fatter that are telling me how to lose weight. I don't understand that. If you really know, you do it. Anyway, they said that I should drink apple cider vinegar every morning. I'd rather die of a heart attack and be fat. I'd drink, I drink a glass of that stuff and walked around all day. No. Lazy people are an irritant to those around them. You ever worked with somebody who was lazy? We got a couple of guys up at the ranch, bless their hearts. They always have to be doing something other than what they're doing. I'll have to go to the bathroom. Okay, well, there's a tree right there. Do it and then come back to what you were. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm, I was raised differently. 
Baloney. Baloney. You're a guy. And see, what happens is they go and do that thing, and then it takes longer for them to do their section, and then they need help to do their section. Hey, can you come help me? No. So we actually have a program now where we, okay, here's your section that you have to do at the ranch. If you've seen the ranch, you know, like in the middle there where all the, the cabins are and stuff, there's all the walkways. Well, that gets weeded and hoed every week and stuff. So you've got a section. And if, when you're done with your section, you can go home. Back up to the bunkhouse. If you're not done with your section, you're staying here till after, after 3.30, maybe 4 or 5, whatever. If I have to see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., did you go home yet? No, I'm still doing my section. All right. You would be amazed how motivated lazy guys are when they find out they get to go home when they're done. Amazing. It's just like a whole new thing. Ooh, that's the best worker ever. What motivate him? He don't want to be out there by himself. At church, lazy Christians just get in the way. They were known. I've, I've, I had a board member tell me one time, I've been in the way 30 years. And he meant he'd been in the way of the Lord 30 years, but he was like a real pain in the neck, and I thought, no, you've just been in the way. Lazy Christians are, are, are a pain to deal with. They're the ones that complain. They're always complaining. Man, the service was too long. I had to park further away today. You could use the walk. Lazy people enjoy complicating progress. There's pain. Proverbs 15, 19, a lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. You ever walk through a field of briars? We have an 18-hole disc golf uh, course up at the ranch. And I had, I've been there two years. I had never done it. So I told Lynette one afternoon, hey, let's go, let's go frisbee golf. So we did. Like I said, I'd been there two years and I'd never done it before. And I, you know me, I... I I wouldn't wear pants if they didn't make me. I wear shorts. I found out that it's not really a, not a good idea to wear shorts when you frisbee golf at the ranch. Word of warning to the guys that are coming up in a couple of weeks because there's a lot of briars and thistles. My legs look like I got in a knife fight and lost. I was scratched all up and I said, all right, I, I get it. You know what? Being lazy is just like walking through that thimble, that, 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 that area in a bunch of shorts. You're going to get cut up. It's going to cause you pain. So what's the remedy for laziness? Yes, believe it or not, there is a remedy. First of all, live for the eternal today. I'm not telling you to follow Jesus as some pie in the sky. You ever hear those guys? The Lord will bless you in the sweet by and by. Hallelujah. Well, God will bless you today. Look, I know that as a Christian, my, my eternal reward is heaven and being with Jesus. And I am going to love being in heaven. My grandma and grandpa are going to meet me at the gates, I'm pretty sure. Grandpa's going to show me all the pretty places. And grandma's just going to look at me and she's going to give me that little suck in the arm like she used to do. And say, hey, I'm glad you made it. I wasn't sure for a while. 
That's my grandma. I got friends that are in heaven. I'm going to see them one day. But not just then. My Christian faith gives me strength today. How do you do that? Number one, you walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You want to know how to keep from sinning? Follow God. Because I guarantee you, the road he leads you through isn't going that other way. You ever get lost and find yourself in a neighborhood, and about 10 minutes into driving, you think, this is really not a good place to be. We got, we got lost in downtown L.A. once. Roll up the windows, lock the doors. And you hope the windows are bulletproof. God doesn't lead you into those areas that are bad unless he wants you to go there for a purpose. How do you keep from sinning? Follow God. Walk in the Spirit. Second thing is you work for the Lord. Colossians 3.23 Work willingly whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. I said in one of my newspaper columns when I was still working at the sheriff's office that I didn't work for Sheriff Loera. He just signed my check. That I worked for God. I got called into Sheriff Loera's office that week. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't work for me? I said, well, you're my immediate supervisor. You're my immediate boss. I said, but I don't do things to make you happy. I do things to make God happy. And if God is happy with the work I'm doing, I'm pretty sure you're going to be okay with it. He looked at me and he said, I like that. Get out of here. I, I've got a boss named Brennan. I work for Brennan. If Brendan never told me another thing to do, I would do the things that I do because I'm building something up there. This weekend, there were 45 guys from a church in downtown, in San Diego, East County, San Diego. And they were up there, and God ministered to those men. I know because I sat in my office, and I listened to one of their services, and the guys were weeping. And incredible stuff was going on. And you know what? I didn't preach to them. My guys didn't preach to them. But we all had a hand in what God accomplished. Because we were there, we set the tone for it. The people that come and help set up all the stuff you see, most of them are never going to preach to you. But if God does anything in your life because you're here, they've had a hand in it. You don't work for your boss. You work for God. Next thing is, thrive from the inside. Motivational people tell you that there's two kinds of motivation. There's extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation comes from outside. That's somebody yelling at you to get you to do something. Intrinsic motivation is what's in your heart. I've coached baseball and football for years, and I can tell the kids that are internally motivated. I've always been internally motivated. There's something inside me that drives me, and it's both a good and a bad thing because sometimes I overdo it. Nobody, a, a boss can never get on to me as much as I get on to me. Make sense?
And there's some people that are extrinsically motivated. You need to ride them all the time. My brother, my brother Greg played one year of football. And we, I, was, I, was, I was the one given the task of yelling at him. My brother Greg could rip through a, a brick wall if he wanted to. He's a monster. But he wasn't real motivated. So I'd grab his helmet on the sideline. What? You're nothing. You just, you stink. You're the worst player on the team. I'm screaming in his grips. Got his face mask. And I'm grabbing, screaming at him. Yeah, yeah. And he'd go out there and he'd rip people apart for two plays. And the next play, he'd be like looking at dandelions and stuff. <laughs> my Uncle Bill, my Uncle Bill, the pastor of Faith Assembly, my Uncle Bill, Jerry, talk to Greg again. You're nothing. You're it was exhausting. Look at this quote. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up knowing that it must outrun the fastest lion or it'll be eaten. The lion wakes up and knows that it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it's going to starve. Thus, every morning when the gazelle and the lion wake up, they understand this one simple truth. If you want to survive the day, then you better hit the ground running. Look, the world is eat or get eaten. That's why some of these people crack me up. Well, you shouldn't push people to, you know what? I, told, I used to tell my students, hey, I got news for you. Contrary to what your mama tells you, your mama tells you that everything you do is the best in the world and that the world is lucky to have you. The world doesn't care if you're here. And they would look at me like, Mr. Godsey. I said, no, trust me. There's a million more just like you out there. They don't care if you're here or not. You better do something to show that you're worthwhile. You better hit the ground running. It's not like the world is saying, you know, I've been scouting this kid since the third grade, and he's really smart. No. Your mama tells you that. Oh, honey, you're the best ever. You're really not. You're probably not. Just so to be honest. You coach the Little League, every, kid, every kid's an all-star. We have kids that don't know what hand to put their glove on. And their mom comes to me like, why isn't he playing more? Because he's a moron. But you can't tell him that. You have to say it nicer. Well, we're working with him. <laughs> and in your head you're thinking, what I really hope is that he can get the first base by the end of the season, just running in a straight line instead of heading to the pitcher's mound and then taking a, taking a hard right. Ay. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. I like that. Learn from their ways and become wise. They have no prince or governor or rules to make them work. They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. See, the ant teaches us that we must be motivated from within to have the will to survive. If you want to be a good spouse or a parent, a good Christian, a good boss or employee, you've got to find the will, you then find within you the will to succeed and nurture it with godly accountability and with intestinal fortitude. Intestinal fortitude. That's a nice way of saying guts. I will tell you that over the years, I have tried all kinds of diets. The Mediterranean diet, I've taken shots. 
I once ate cabbage soup. That cabbage soup diet did that. The only thing I lost was friends. Because if all you're drinking is cabbage soup, it's, uh, you're not pleasant to be around. I've tried everything. So this year, one of the few motivation, one of the few uh, New Year's resolutions that I made, I decided this year I was going to lose weight. And I have. Since January 1st, I'm more than a little proud to say I've lost 34 pounds. I still only have like 7,000 to go. Um, <laughs> and here's what it did. I didn't do it. I didn't take it. I didn't. I, no more cabbage soup because I live in a house with my wife and she would not put up with that. I'm not on some fad diet. You know what I did? I got an app on my phone and I count my calories and I wear a Fitbit and I walk. And now I've known all along that that was really the way to lose weight. I've known for years, but I kept trying to look for some way, easy way to do it. If I could just lose 50 pounds in two weeks, I'd be happy. So instead, I've been going slow. Two, three pounds a week, four pounds a week. You know what? I'm happier. I don't get stressed. I used to be, you're, you're be on one of those, those really re restrictive diets and you'd go, so, you'd go like in the store and you think, I can't have that. <laughs> You've never before wanted sauerkraut. Now you can't have sauerkraut and that's all you think about. I don't know anybody there has ever like, I just wish I could have sauerkraut. Ugh. My eating and exercise habits had to change and my excuses had to go. You want to follow God? Excuses got to go. And your habits have to change. Finish what you start. I like this quote from Vince Lombardi. Quitters never win. Winners never quit. You know, for a guy who's a Chicago Bears fan, I do a lot of Vince Lombardi quotes because I love Vince Lombardi. And it does kind of ache to me that he was the, the Green Bay Packers coach, but Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says, finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Eliminate your excuses. I, I don't know that I've ever read this verb, Proverbs twenty two thirteen. 13. The lazy person claims, there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might get eaten. There's a lion out there. I don't know that I've ever read, and I've read Proverbs much time. Maybe it just never struck me, but... What kind of idiot says, I can't go to work today. There's a lion out there. Or there might be a lion out there. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my ears. A lazy person always finds a way to weasel out of work. I, my back hurts. I, I've got a tiddlywink tournament I have to be at. Lazy? Come on. Quit making excuses. Finish what you start. So we've looked at the root, the reality, the results, and the remedy for laziness. But in the end, it all comes down to you. I can't make you work. Can't force you. Second Timothy one seven says, 
For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Not power, love, and pastor discipline. Or wife or husband discipline. Self-discipline. It's got to come from inside of you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Bottom line. If you want more out of your life, out of work, out of your relationship... It requires an effort on your part. So don't come to me with your tale of woe. Oh, but Jerry, you know, I, I, this, 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 it, I just, you know, my life is just hard. Okay. So is everybody else's. Life is hard, then you die. Oh, but Jerry, you don't understand my situation. Nope. But I can almost guarantee you, you had a hand in creating it. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to take the easy way out? You're going to be lazy? Or are you going to work? You're going to decide, well, here's the path of least resistance. I think I'll follow that. You know what? When that happens in your life, that starts to become a habit. Quitting starts to become a habit. It gets easier and easier and easier and easier. And eventually, you won't hold anything. Trust me, that is not the life you want. It's not the life you need. And it's not the life that will fulfill you. It's been a rough one, hasn't it? Oh, well. Too bad, so sad. I love you even if you don't love me right now. Let's pray. God, thanks. Lord, you've called us to work. You've called us to be energetic. You've called us to serve with all our hearts, with all of our strength. God, we're supposed to love you that way. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God, everything about us. God, I pray that you'll help us. Lord, there are people right now whose work lives are not great. God, I pray that you give them the eye of self-discipline to see maybe places where they can make it better. And maybe if they can't make it better, God, they can at least make it so they don't care in a bad way. God, help us. God, I pray for homes. There's a lot of people taking an easy way out in our homes. God, Fuel us with fire to do the right things the right way. God, in our, our life with you, Father, I pray that you will give us a hunger for you. A need for you that burns in our bones. To serve you with 100%, God. Thanks. Thanks, Father. God, do something great in us. Right now, your head's bowed and your eyes closed. If God spoke to you about some of this, some of this hit home really hard, go to him right now. God, I need to be better at this. I need your discipline here. I need to fix this. And let God do it. Here's the thing. 
God's word isn't here just to cause you a problem, just to make you uncomfortable. It's here to make you better. And if you feel convicted today, it's because God's telling you he has something more for you. It's up to you whether or not you take it. Thanks, God, that you're calling us, that you're going to do something great in us. Bless us, Father God. We ask it in your name. Amen. Let's all stand. Hey, guys. Remember what I said about prayer this week? Take time to listen. That's where you're going to find strength. All right? Love you. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us online at remnantchurchiv.com.